Phoenix is so completely stunned at the sight of him. Her mind is busy trying to wrap around what her eyes are taking in. She can't breathe. She can't speak. The tears are spilling out of her eyes. And while she's trying to get a hold of herself, Saeed is also expressing his own shocked happiness at seeing her again. Alive? He thought she was dead too. He kisses her ear. He gazes at her wings and asks her to touch, but she tells him later because she doesn't want to do so in front of Mule and the winged man. She rests her head on his shoulder for a moment, and then they all talk shop. Tower 7. Tower 1. Saeed informs Phoenix that they want to do the same thing to all the towers. Bring them all down. Set every specimen free. And Phoenix is with it immediately. Note, this is her community. Her tribe. Her support. Her family. She needs them and they need her individually They survive, but together they change the world. But before they can get started on changing the world, the winged man lets her know that she has to die again. She has to burn hot enough to burn away the tracking nanobots that the big eye have implanted into her bloodstream. She has to burn six thousand degrees celsius the temperature of the center of the earth Ooh, she thought she would have to find a desert or go to the moon because that type of heat would literally not only destroy her but everything in her presence including Saeed and Mule she knew she had to go away from them or at least she thought she did but The immortal winged man let her know that he could contain her within his wings. Of course, Saeed was immediately against the idea because there's no guarantee she would even come back. Even though she is the phoenix, that kind of burn, 6,000 degrees Celsius, the, the temperature of the center of the earth. But she agreed to it because she didn't want to keep living whatever lives she had being tracked by the big eye and their nanobots. So she let Saeed know there's no other way. And she let him know if she doesn't come back to make sure that they destroy all the towers with or without her. She let Mule know about the others that were set free um, from Tower 1 and she asks him to find them if she doesn't come back. And with her last hug from Saeed, He called her his special bird, and he asked her not to fly away. So the winged man curls his wings tightly around her, and she starts to heat up with every bit of her strength. And you know how people do affirmations? She was doing her burn affirmations. I am strong. I am so powerful. They made me a villain. But these people, whom I love, they helped me to make myself more. I have purpose. And she burned. With every death, 
and every rebirth, Phoenix was changed. First, her thoughts, then her physical being. She was reviewing her life so far, her gains and her losses. She still held a heavy fury inside of her. I carried it within me into the darkness of death, and when I brought it out into the light of life, it had evolved, matured, intensified, grown wings. I would free the others. I would crush those who had the nerve to make me. They had no respect. The intensity of this burn took more than seven days to come back from. It took a whole month. Mule let her know that the winged man had taken most of her heat into his wings, and then, when she was ashes, he flew off without a word. Said and Mule stayed with her ashes within the overgrown jungle of Tower 7. They said words over her ashes and mourned her, and then they waited. One of them was always with her. Mule had an apartment, so... One of them would be resting and eating and showering while the other one stayed with Phoenix. They took like shifts. They had a small tent near where her ashes had lain before they were blown away with the wind and washed away by the rain. Saeed heard her first. She was like a loud sigh, and he poked his head out of the tent and he saw a soft mist over the spot where she had died. So he knew they were on. She was on her way back. When Mule returned to give Saeed a chance to go eat and wash and rest, Saeed, of course, refused. He wanted to be there when she returned. But Mule let him know, yo, you stink. You want her to see you looking like this? So he thought about it. And the funny thing was Phoenix could, at that point, see, hear, and smell. And she agreed with Mule that Saeed needed to go wash. <laughs> So while Saeed was um, off going to wash, she just took in all of her senses as a, uh, I guess you would say a spirit, because she wasn't a physical being yet. And while she was a spirit, she could sense everything, see, hear, and smell from a 360-degree perspective. And while she was there, and Mule understood that she was there, he decided to tell her his story in the hopes that it would quicken her coming back to them because he knew that Phoenix loved stories. So he told her about his father's political views and his father's juju, how he grew up, and the special shea butter that his family used to stop bullets. He told her about his time at the university when he had learned how to combine his intellectual and mystical capabilities into the ability to walk through wooden doors and anything wood. So if there was like a wood shack, he could walk through anything wood. At the university, he met other children of other Nigerian leaders, and they created a radical student group that they called Wazobia. Wa means come in Yoruba. Zo means come in Aosa. Bia means come in Igbo. Come, come, come. It was an invitation to diverse Nigerian students to come and unify against 
the ever-present oil companies and corrupt military in their country. Nigeria is one of the world's leading producers of crude oil, yet there are still shortages for her citizens. And that's just a lot. And so they had united around, the students had united around that cause, but then everything got real when the Anansi droids 419 were created, robot spiders. Nigerian engineers were responsible for creating the prototype. Can you imagine? We're so colonized that we build our own shackles. That's how Muo put it. And so Chevron and Shell helped fund the Anansi droids. And Wazobia was over the government at that point. The student rebels were over it. And so they had gotten guns and they were going to do some government overthrow, but they were taken out. And the way that she wrote their their deaths, it reminds me of the execution um, of Fred Hampton and his group. Um, and if you're not familiar with Fred Hampton, he was the young college student leader of the Chicago Black Panther Party for Self-Defense in 60s era America. So Mule survived that execution because he had just slathered his whole body with the special shea butter, but he believes he also would have survived anyway because Big Eye Corporation wanted him. They snatched him up from Nigeria and they um, took him to Tower 7. Uh, believe, he believes Big Eye is contracted to both the United States and the Nigerian government as well as the invested oil companies, and they knew what he could do. When Tower 7 scientists got a hold of him, they altered his body and forced him to tell them about his father's juju, and they enhanced his ability to walk through wood by allowing him to walk through all matter, not just wood. And by doing so, they actually helped him escape their grasp. So... After hearing his story, his backstory, Phoenix did come back fully. She said, I speak my life into existence with each expressed breath I take. Oh, I love these words. Her first words um, out loud, because that was her thoughts. Her first thought in her physical body was, I speak my life into existence when, with each expressed breath I take. But her first spoken words out loud were praise Ani, which was influenced by her story, <laughs> by Mule's story to her. Saeed was there at that point. He asked her who Saeed was. I'm sorry. Saeed was there and he asked her who Ani was. Saeed believes the creator to be the author of all things. Phoenix told him Ani was the author of all things sister, siblings. Saeed's response, when they made you, something good was touching their minds. When they made you, planets must have aligned. When they made you, they made one of a kind. And he handed her a small jar of shea butter while he took in her nakedness. Saeed, wow. <laughs> but he's an artist, so... Artists are sensitive and talk like that. 
I, you know what I love? I love how shea butter, the product of the shade tree, which is indigenous to the African continent, has such a significant role in the story. Don't you love that? I do. Then he gave her a yellow dress with an opening in the back made for her wings. And then he gave her burqa. And even Mule put on some clothes. And then they left the jungle of Tower 7. And they got in his car and they traveled. They got in Mule's car and they traveled to Mule's apartment. Mule was able to get these things because he knew how to get documents and money. I mean, he could walk through matter. Not hard to do. And also Saeed had a job as a an Arabic language translator and teacher. So they had means by, of getting a vehicle and a, a car and food and all the things they would need to survive while they make their plan. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So they make it to Mio and Saeed's apartment and Phoenix takes advantage of the fresh air on the balcony and she's high up so she gets to see the city and just sit with all of the emotions of everything that's going on around her. And the tears start to come and then Saeed comes out and sits with her on the balcony and she realizes she's angry with him. He ate the apple. He chose to leave her at Tower 7 with everything that he knew was going on. And so Saeed decided not to deal with her anger. He gave her a chance. He told her to relax. And when she was able to relax enough to let him tell her what actually happened, not what Boomi told her happened, but what actually happened, he was able to tell her that he had stepped off the line that he usually were, walked on and he had explored parts of the facility that he hadn't seen and that's when he saw the room with all of those African bodies just piled on top of each other and he lost it. He forgot all about the plans he had made with Mule. He wasn't thinking about her in the moment. He admits to that. He just tried to destroy everything he could within his reach. He threw the apple. He didn't eat the apple. He threw it at the machinery. He took a scanner and threw it. He took all kinds of things and just threw it. It took 10 big eyes staffers to take him down. They beat him down. And after the way they beat him, they realized that he wasn't going to be any good to them anymore. So they injected him with something that they thought killed him, shipped his body off to Tower 4, which is in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And they um, just left him for dead. When he woke up, he had a tag on his foot that said... um, I wrote it down somewhere. Here it is. The tag on his finger actually said, Dismember. Organs will self-preserve. 
use for a transplant. So he shared all of that with her. He also let her, let her know that although he had come there from the streets of Cairo, he had no food, but he was surviving. But in Tower 7, he wasn't surviving. He was dying from the inside out. And not just from what they had done to him, how they altered his body, but just from everything that he saw, he knew what they were doing there to others. Even when he met her, like he immediately fell for her, but he also saw the changes in her. Now, he was a young man, nice-looking young Arabic man, and the women that worked at Big Eye wanted to use him for their plaything, and they did not like the fact that he was attracted to Phoenix. So they gave him all the gruesome details of her existence, trying to, you know, turn him off from Phoenix. And it didn't work. He just was connected to her in a way that they couldn't understand. So they never stopped trying to turn him off from Phoenix, but they didn't care. They knew about his friendship with Muo, but they just took it as two guys being friends, not knowing that those two guys had actual plans. So Phoenix let him know that she made it to that same room of death, but she didn't see African bodies. She saw Caucasian bodies piled up. Saeed's response was, genocide is genocide. It's all wrong. So Phoenix heard his story, and she just didn't care about the fact that he had childhood drama. And that's 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 wild, but she just was so focused on, all right, now, what is going on now? What can we do now? What are we going to do now? She didn't want to understand his traumatic past. She just wanted to be free from the weight of all of it. Tower 7, his traumatic past, everything they're going through, always running from the big eyes. She wanted to be free from all of it. So they sat and they planned over meals and He would calm her with his kisses, and they just made their plans to do just that, to get free. She ached for freedom. After her experience in Ghana, she ached for freedom. A very significant part of their planning is Phoenix's deep, deep, deep love for books, information, and reading, they're going to use it as a significant tool. She reiterates that manipulating and flying through information and story was her first real lesson in the art of flight before my own wings grew in. The information, the stories, the worlds within worlds. Now she knew, though, that she was actually ignorant in her knowledge and her ignorance had been quote-unquote bliss. You can have knowledge, but you are nothing without wisdom. She reiterates how much access she had to all the information she wanted. What was she going to do with it? They They weren't scared of her knowing everything that she could have access to. The Library of Congress became a focal point because she knew that was where the most pertinent information was stored. It was quote-unquote public, 
but also highly inaccessible, restricted access only. So over dinners of crushed concrete and rust flakes and rubble for Saeed, and igusi soup, pounded yam and fried plantain from Muo and Phoenix, they continued to make their plans. So then they get to Washington, D.C., and Zaid is looking at himself in the mirror in his European suit. And he said he looks colonized. And Muo said he felt like a robot. They were so used to free-flowing clothing. And for Muo, the nakedness suited him best. <laughs> so, Muo and Phoenix made their way towards the White House while Saeed made his way toward the Library of Congress. Muo and Phoenix knew as a dark-skinned African couple headed toward the White House, her and her burqa, him in his ill-fitting European suit, they knew they would be profiled. Saeed, as an Arabic man, was profiled but not as heavily and he was able to enter the Library of Congress with his legal looking ID with no problem. Phoenix and Mule on the other hand were surrounded and ended up having to do what they do. Mule of course slipped away and Phoenix did her slipping slipping thing too. Phoenix met up with Saeed at the Library of Congress and as his demure wife, they made their way to the restricted area and they had an hour of access to the files where the tower information that was public but not public was kept. So Phoenix did her thing. She read through quickly, getting all the information she needed about all of the towers, all seven of the towers. She also found um, their personal files. There was no file for the winged man she found out about Mule's information. She found out about Saeed's information. And she also found out about her own information that she didn't actually have a father. She was a combination of multiple African DNA cells from all over West Africa. And she was also combined with the mitochondrial Eve DNA from the Ethiopian girl. She found out that her birth mother, her surrogate mother, the woman who had carried her, was an African-American woman who, according to the files, had eventually gone mad because she was so attached to the baby that she had carried. And the doctors were confused. They wrote that in the files. Like, they didn't understand why she was so attached to the baby. They had paid her millions. What was the problem? Um, she found out that the day she was born, there was a solar flare and a blackout, and she had been the brightest light in the birth room. The first time she died, she was one month old, and she came back in a few minutes, and that's when they knew she could burn, like burn herself up and live again. She hadn't done it again until she escaped Tower 7, so what they had been doing was waiting and testing her, trying to make her burn up again. They knew nothing about her wings. Nothing. A quote from Phoenix, they hadn't really predicted anything. They just let themselves think they did.
at the end of her file, there was a very, very, very important note. And it read, information to be used in tandem with Hela, Tower 4, United States, Virgin Islands. And Hela is written with a capital H, lowercase e, capital L, lowercase a. The Hela cells. <laughs> um, this is where real life meets science fiction or African futurism. And I'm going to read you an article, a portion of an article that was published this month, October 2021. The family of Henrietta Lacks, a black woman whose cervical cancer cells were taken without consent in 1951, cloned and widely used for medical research, has sued the biotechnology company Thermo Fisher Scientific, arguing that the company derived profits from the cell line long after its unethical origins became publicly known. The legacy of Lack's cell line, known as the HELA, capital H, lowercase e, capital L, lowercase a, the HELA cell line, dates back to 1951 when Lax received treatment for cervical cancer at the Johns Hopkins Hospital. Live science previously reported during a biopsy by Dr. George Gay sampled cells from Lax's tumor and cultured those cells in a lab dish without Lax's knowledge or consent. To Gay's surprise, the cells just kept dividing indefinitely which no cell line had ever done before. In the years to come, the immortal, quote-unquote immortal cells would become the most widely used cell line in biological research and would contribute to major breakthroughs like the advent of the polio vaccine. Though the cancerous HALA cells differ from healthy human cells, scientists found that the cells could still be infected by the polio virus and that they survived the infection longer than normal cells, making them ideal for testing vaccines. Scientists have also infected the cells with the viruses that cause HIV, herpes, and Zika to probe how the pathogens work and also use the long-lived cells to study cellular aging. Lax died soon after her biopsy in 1951 and her family didn't learn about the use of her cells in research until the mid-1970s. The family has not received any compensation for the use of Lax's cells, although more than 100 corporations, mostly pharmaceutical firms, have profited off of the Hela cell line. So this is something that you the listener can Google for yourself. Again, this is capital H, lowercase e, capital L, lowercase a, the HALA cell line. In some articles, they give credit to Henrietta Lacks and some do not. There's actually a movie. Uh, it was produced by Oprah Winfrey, I believe, on Henrietta Lacks and the use of her cells. 
And so, uh, yeah, science fiction and real life are intertwined. Hmm. As Saeed and Phoenix's time wound down in the file room, she got to the financials of it all. The financial aspects of all the towers. She found that billions and billions of American dollars, European euros, and Chinese yuan poured into the towers annually. Every year, All of these different countries and continental currencies poured in. They also gained money via patents and scientific research results. She found that 80% of their money came from the United States Virgin Islands Tower 4, a large portion accredited to quote-unquote harvests. So when Mio and Phoenix and Saeed got together after their time at the Washington Library of Congress and the White House and all of that, she told them everything she found out in those files, with the exception of where her birth mother was located. They agreed together that Tower 4 was going down next. So Mio used his connects to get Saeed on board a port Carnival Florida uh, cruise ship legally. First of all, he was the only one who couldn't move through walls or slip or fly. And everybody thought he was dead. So he got on the ship. Um, Phoenix had perfected, perfected her flying skills at this point. So she agreed to fly over the ship. Mule would ride on the cruise ship with Saeed, but he could just float through the wall so he didn't need to get on and again they were looking they were definitely looking for Mio too um she did agree to eat dinner with them even though she didn't want to get on the ship at all it reminded her of the transatlantic slave trade the maafa that had happened to uh, American Africans but she agreed to get on the ship and um while she spent time on the ship during their dinner times she found out as they did, that they were all over the news. All of them, not just them, but the specimen that had been freed from Tarot One in Chicago. And they were calling themselves the Let Us See. Let Us See. They were calling, they were calling her Phoenix Okore and waving the Ghanaian flag. They must have seen her and Kofi's live stream. So Mio grinned at it all. He said that Phoenix started a movement, but she corrected him by saying, we, us three started a movement. She reminded Mio she would have never made it out of the the towers without his help opening the elevators and all of that and dismantling um, some of the security systems. And she reminded Saeed that he was a freedom fighter too because he fought against the machine in every way he could. But at the end of the day, the truth was they were yelling her name on TV and across all kinds of media, Phoenix Okore. The news also informed them that the Anansi Droids 419 had gone rogue. They weren't allowing any humans, not the regular citizens 
nor the soldiers near the pipelines. So this was affecting oil and fuel prices all over the world. Uh, the news said that the American President Chan would speak on how the United States planned to help Nigeria with the crisis. So it appears in this time that there is an Asian president. Mio knew that the Anansi droids would cross the ocean ready to hate any human beings that they came into contact with. So now they had created their own problem, not just for specimen, but for everybody, even themselves, the um, big eye, which they seem to keep doing. Anyway, the whole country was on high alert for two escaped specimen, which is Muro and Phoenix. They, of course, thought Saeed was dead, but the three of them were on their way to Tower 4 together. While on the ship, Muro connected with a Yoruban woman named Omo happily. Saeed volunteered to wait tables uh, nearby the poolside, and while he did, women were (laughs) volunteering their room keys to him. He considered those women to be worse than whores, because they just... Anyway, that was his viewpoint on women. Um, Once they landed in the Virgin Islands, Mule slipped off and waited for Saeed in some palm trees so he could get some clothes. And they all met up at Sandcastle on the beach, which was a beautiful resort. Um, But Phoenix had gotten a little bit ill, and uh, the taxi driver was able to get her some coconut water fresh cut down from the tree from one of his Rastafarian friends and that helped to break her fever so they were there at the resort white sands blue clear water she finally got a chance to just sit and listen to the ocean waves and um, the hotel had gotten them um, right they had the room laid out Saeed and Phoenix were sharing a room Mio had his own room. He took a fresh shower, came out in some just white pants, nothing else. And they had food laid out. Um, Saeed had a plate of rust, a nice plate of rust to chew on. And a large glass of water. And um, Phoenix and Mio had whole lobster tails, spiced rice, and fresh mango slices. So they sat down to eat. But they were disturbed by an unwelcome visitor. And he was unwelcome at first because he was wearing a big-eye uniform and holding a gun. But he had come seeking their help. He had fallen in love with a specimen in Tower of Four, and he wanted their help to free her. He had seen the lettuce on television, and he had anticipated that they would eventually come there to do what they did in the other towers. He knew they would eventually come, or where he hoped they would eventually come and um, do the same thing in Tower 4. His name was D'Artis Lenard, and he thought that getting a job at Tower 4 was a dream come true. It was a job in the Virgin Islands. It was like having a job in paradise. He was a black man, and Big Eye preferred to have black guards with kind faces guarding the quote-unquote harvest children, the children they kept there, uh, him being black like them, was considered a source of comfort for the children. 
who were all dark-skinned, very, very dark-skinned from Ethiopia and the Sudan. And some of the children were very, very gifted. They could actually see, um, some of them could see the future. And while at work, he had um, fallen in love with a specimen the big eye called Hela. So remember, the Ethiopian girl had been cloned. And so Hela, I guess they called all of the women that were cloned from her Hela. And Artis told Phoenix that Hela looked a lot like her. So now, it was the four of them determined to bring Tower 4 down and free the specimen and the children from it. D'Artis was their inside man. They grilled him for information. He let them know Big Eye pretends to do work that is innocent and non-secretive to keep people from asking questions. So, the night before the Tower 4 incident, Phoenix and Saeed were able to get a chance to enjoy the beautiful waters of the Virgin Islands. She finally let her wings get wet, and it felt amazing. She saw the ocean as her father, and the sky as her mother. They made love. She said his skin was cool, and his mouth tasted like sweet fruit and salt, and his hands felt like the ocean's rough waves. She said she didn't know her body could do what it did. She had no idea her body could feel what it felt. He kissed my lips, my chin, my neck, my breasts, and every part of me, saying, Oh, how beautiful.